Hello, listeners. Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition, or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas, or maybe just comforted in knowing that they're not alone, that everybody starts somewhere, and everybody goes through times of transition and times of feeling stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Jamie Walsh, who is an ADHD coach. Welcome, Jamie. Welcome, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited for you to tell your story today, because I think it's going to be one of those kind of public service announcements that everybody can uh, take away and go, oh, maybe I need to pay a little more attention to this topic. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, and as our listeners know, I always like to start with uh, the icebreaker questions first. So, if you wouldn't mind, uh, start by telling us where you grew up, how many siblings you have, and kind of where you where you were in the birth order, and how you think all that influenced you as an adult. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Warwick, Rhode Island, um, so the smallest states in the country, and Warwick actually is the second largest city in terms of population, so it's about 15 minutes south of Providence, Rhode Island, and I have two siblings. I have an older brother who's just about four years older than I am, and I have a younger sister who's about two and a half years younger than I am. So like you, I listened to a previous podcast of yours and um, also a middle child. So I think that shaped me in probably the obvious ways of having an older brother who is, you know, can be the bully and, but also somebody that you look up to, that you learn from both good and bad. And then having a younger sibling who you're sort of more the protector of, um, caretaker of. Um, so it's, it's, it was very interesting to, to be that middle child um, syndrome. And I think um, I definitely see it in different aspects of my personality. Yeah. Yeah, I think some of the personality traits that I got were about harmony is important to me, you know, that everybody gets along and yes. that um, <laughs> adaptability. Yes. I was like, oh, well, older one, what do you want to do? Younger one, well, what do you want to do? And, and, by, and then I, I don't really know what I wanted to do. <laughs> right. Not being able to make a decision. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of activities did you do as a young person? Was it sports? Was it animals? Uh, music? Yeah, so we were really involved in sports um, from as little as I can remember. So, um, you know, my older brother, myself, and my sister. So I was into um, pretty much everything, um, testing out um, different sports. But the ones that ended up really sticking were uh, soccer, basketball, and we were fortunate to be a skiing family as well. So um, when we could during the winter months, um, we would we would go skiing uh, as a family as well. But um, loved sports, um, was always going somewhere on the weekends um, to some sort of game or practice. Yeah, so super active it sounds like as as a family. Yes, yes. So primar primarily actually, you know, it was always my dad, um, or usually my dad, the one sort of settling us off to games. Um, not that my mom didn't fair share. My dad was involved in coaching, so that's what, you know, okay. a lot of that. <laughs> okay, so we're going to 
switch gears just a little bit here on the uh, fun meter scale of one to five, <laughs> one being the couch potato and uh, five being life of the party. Where do you put yourself? Is I, I think my wife would probably say that I'm a five, or that at least I think that I'm a five. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, I. I would say a four. I, I'm an extrovert for sure, which is kind of interesting because I wasn't always like this. And we can probably talk more about that. Um, I was really more introverted um, until I got to college. But I do. I love, I love to have fun um, and put myself around Four, okay. I love that you 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 use your wife as a gauge, and then <laughs> awesome. Okay, on the on the risk meter, same scale, one to five. Where do you put yourself? Oh, I'm, you'll you'll probably laugh. I'm gonna go right in the middle, like middle child, like <laughs> two and a half. Don't want to take a risk one way or the other, but like I'm willing to at least kind of go down the middle. So, um, although I feel like you know. What we're talking about today in my new journey is probably the biggest risk that I've taken. So, see, maybe that will, you know, tilt the scale a little bit. Yeah. Going forward. Yeah. Sometimes you start taking one big risk and then um, that can uh, cascade and snowball into uh, maybe some bigger risks because you have the mm -hmm. success there, right? And then you're like, oh, well, let's keep going. <laughs> right, right. Well, very cool. I always love how those two questions. You know, they, we start with the answers at the beginning and then see how they play out as, uh, as we go through your, your journey. Sure, yeah. So tell us a little bit about what it means to be an ADHD coach. And then we're going to get into the, how did I get here part of your story. Sure. So basically an ADHD coach, I'm sure most people have probably, most people know what an athletic coach is, right? Um, and I'm sure a lot of people know what, you know, an executive coach is or a career coach, you know, someone that, you know, might come into an organization and help that particular team, you know, work more efficiently um, or help them solve a problem um, or a career coach, you know, really honing in maybe on a, a particular individual in terms of what are your goals and dreams. Um, an ADHD coach is not too different in that you do work with clients, um, particularly, um, it can be one-on-one, -on -one, um, or it could be within a group right now. I'm just working with, uh, clients one-on-one, -on -one. but it's basically to work with uh, a particular niche of clients. So for myself, um, it's kids, teenagers, college students, and young adults. Um, and I chose that sort of niche intentionally based on my previous experience. Um, and it's to, help them identify what's going well in their lives and uh, what's not going well. And to come up with systems and strategies and structure um, to better uh, have focus, to better have an identity for themselves and for what they want for their futures. And the biggest difference between, you know, an ADHD coach and a career coach as an example, or maybe even a life coach is that, there's a greater emphasis on structure and accountability. So it's really helping them empower, really helping to empower themselves, you know, help them help themselves as opposed to enable them um, by doing the work for them. Many times, you know, coaches or parents or teachers will get frustrated with somebody who has, you know, limited executive function skills and will just do the work for them. And, you know, my job as a coach is to help empower them 
um, to let them know that they are smart, uh, they can be successful, and that their brains is working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like how you said you, you know, you're about structure and accountability. It's funny, I, I have a, I'm on a peer advisory board and a, a big part of why I'm on that board is the accountability piece is that when you announce, here's my goals and then you write them down <clears throat> and then next month I'm supposed to be reporting on those goals. It's very different than if I was just working by myself and, you know, made goals, <clears throat> wrote them down and then was, you know, looking back maybe a month later or maybe at a different time. So. Mm -hmm. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about how you got here then. So let's go back to your back in Rhode Island, junior high, high school. What did you oh, want man. to be when you grew up? <laughs> you know, that's such a good question. And I think it actually goes into my diagnosis. Um, mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, one of my areas of, an area that I'm weak in um, is my processing. Processing is a lot slower than, than the average person, um, which again, not mean that I'm any less intelligent. It just takes me a longer time um, and means that I have to work a little bit, a little bit harder. So when I think back to what I wanted to be, it was a lot of different things. Um, I think, you know, as a young kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Um, and then as I get a little bit older, um, I really liked the idea of, you know, working in sports as like a sports broadcaster. You can see the theme here. Uh, <laughs> and then I kind of transitioned to, oh, I want to help injured athletes, you know, being like an athletic trainer or a physical therapist. Um, and, you know, from there, it kind of just changed, you know, by the hour. Um, I think until I got into college and was forced to come up with a major and really try to hone in on something yeah so what did you end up picking as your major then I chose English and part of that again middle child syndrome I think was I couldn't really figure out do I want to you know specifically major in business or finance or accounting um, so I wanted a major that was a little bit more all-encompassing that you know with an English major I could still decide to go to law school if I wanted to. I could still decide to do, um, you know, become an accountant if that's what I chose. Um, something that really was applicable to anything, which I felt was was writing. Um, so that's that's the route that I chose. I don't know that I would do it over again, not because I didn't like it, um, but it's uh, just knowing where I am now, hindsight is twenty twenty. so. <laughs> yeah, so. So you're in college now. Uh, you also mentioned that you got more extroverted in college. So what was there? Uh, you know, was there some pivotal moment that all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, this now I'm really, you know, I'm I'm thriving. I'm excelling in college now." What what happened? Yeah, I think a lot of it is is confidence and self worth, and and those who are diagnosed with ADHD or have you know symptoms. Um, and again, it's not like you have to have a diagnosis to um, sort of struggle with your confidence or, or self-worth, but it's, it's certainly common. Um, I went to, you know, when I was in high school, probably like many high schools, it was very clicky. Um, and I had, I would say, a, an average high school experience. Um, there are things that I really, a lot of things that I don't miss. Um, and I think it affected my, my overall confidence. Um, you know, I, wasn't necessarily, I wasn't bullied, um, but there was a lot of social 
you know, peer pressures um, that I dealt with and I know a lot of kids today dealt with. And I was just ready. I was ready to move out of that bubble um, and sort of start my new identity. And when I got to college, um, without sort of, you know, being in my own little bubble, um, people started paying attention to me. <laughs> and I think that just really, you know, boosted my confidence, um, you know, both from, uh, you know, having, you know, girls look at you for the first, you know, feel like for the first time and having, you know, friends from different parts of the country and all these people coming from different places um, and having their own stories, which, you know, really fascinated me. Um, I really liked learning, you know, where everybody came from and, and what their story was and how we're all now here at the same place and how we got there. Wow. So it sounds like you made a lot of friends quickly um, and you got to start fresh, right? No one knew you, you know, right. you weren't so-and-so's little brother or, you know, it's kind of interesting. You do get to start fresh. and Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Took off from there. Cool. So then, okay, now you have your English degree. What do you do for work? What's that first job? So most of my friends were the aforementioned business majors or finance majors. And so, you know, they, they were set up with jobs, you know, by, you know, December or January of our senior year. And so it's not like finding a job is pressure enough when you're a senior in college, but then all your friends have jobs lined up before they graduate. It puts a little bit of extra pressure on you. So uh, ironically at the, Advice of my brother after, uh, soon after I graduated, I knew that I wanted to move um, out of Rhode Island. I grew up there and then I went to Providence College, my undergraduate. Um, so I didn't go too far. I knew that I wanted to move um, to Boston um, where a lot of my friends were moving. And in order to do that, of course, I needed to get a job and pay the rent. And so because I didn't have a full-time job yet, my brother encouraged me to become a temp um, at university. In Boston uh -huh. and you know he said it's a great opportunity to just you know get a good hourly rate you know continue to work in a setting that is enjoyable you know being around students and I said that sounds like a good idea so I was fortunate uh, I got a job at Boston College um, as a long-term temp um, Basically, you just enter a pool, um, you submit an application, enter a pool, and they place you based on their needs, people that might be out. Um, and I was fortunate to get like a long-term assignment um, that allowed me to look um, for jobs sort of while I had a job. And I say all that because when I was in that job, I realized, wow, like you can actually do this as a career. You can work at university or you know a college you know as a career and higher education has changed dramatically in that sense meaning like I think a lot of people now a lot of college students now are much more aware that you know that could be a profession there's a lifestyle you do the faculty route or the staff administration route um, yeah. it's a great lifestyle um, but when I was there it wasn't like oh you know maybe you should stay in this environment but took temping to realize that I really like this, you know, and I was fortunate to get my first full-time position um, at Boston College um, working in their law school as an admissions officer. Uh -huh. So 
So it was cool. It was um, school. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was you know Boston College Law School was or is a you know very competitive and um, you know top tier law school. So I enjoyed you know being at an institution that had some prestige and you know my role really just consisted of um, a lot of admin work, um, counseling prospective students on the process of applying to law school. Um, and then over time, it grew a little bit more, and I got a chance to go to some law school fairs um, as an ambassador or um, representative from the law school to to meet students and parents and so on. That was yeah, that was my first full time position um, out of college, and uh, it was great. I think it it really set me up for uh, a career, my first career uh, in higher education. Yeah. Well, so when you're there, are you thinking then, oh, maybe I do want to go to law school? I mean, you're you're encouraging all these other students <laughs> to go to law yeah. school. Was it, you know, you know, in your mind, what, maybe I should do this? Or are you thinking, no, I need a different job? Or Yeah, it's a great question. I, I never really had a desire to go to law school, um, probably because there's a lot of lawyers in my family. <laughs> um, ah. My father not included, but uh, it wasn't a yearning of mine, but it did propel me to start realizing that I need to take advantage of working at a place that has tremendous resources. So one of them is as a full-time employee, you can earn or, or receive tuition remission for any of their schools. Um, so I, I looked at some of their other graduate schools, um, including um, their MBA program, I wasn't sure. Um, you can take up to four classes um, before sort of committing to a particular school. And I ended up choosing, um, they have a program, a master's program that is, it's sort of like a liberal arts master's program. Um, and I chose that because again, I felt like it gave me a little bit more um, of a well-rounded as opposed to very niche pigeonhole, like, okay, you're, you're gonna get your MBA and you have to go to business. Yeah. Um, so, but what a gift. I mean, I, I was able to, to earn my master's degree for free. Wow. I worked, I worked wow. there full time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a very um, tremendous resource and um, very fortunate that I was able to do that. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a great benefit. Yeah. My, yeah. my niece just did that. She got her undergrad and then worked at here at DU in Denver and, um, and got her master's and yes yeah. what a, what a great benefit so yes absolutely and then okay so after you get your master's then are you thinking do i still want to work at university or where do i go yeah next? so i think i outgrew my job probably a year earlier than when i left but um of course i didn't want to leave without having a job lined up so i I then thought, okay, I'm going to follow my passion, which is sports. And I was able to get a paid internship at, in the athletic media relations department at Boston College. Um, and it's a pretty prestigious internship to get. A lot of people apply for it. Um, you know, I was a little bit older and typically they'll get, you know, a, a recent grad, but, um, was able to get it and you know it's a one-year internship there's no guarantee that it's gonna lead to a full-time job so you talk about earlier taking risks that was certainly a risk um that i took you know knowing like okay 
this is only one year and then you got to figure out you know what's next but i felt having a place like boston college athletics you know on my resume and the skills and you know other experience that i was going to gain from this internship would be invaluable and, and, and hopefully you know pop out on my resume and so i i took that accepted that and absolutely think about that is not only looks good on your resume but also you know it's your first foray into you know that sports journalism world sort of right and yeah, yeah and gives you that sense of is this the kind of work i want to do so. so true kathy yeah so it it was i loved it um it was so much fun um i worked in a Same amount of hours um, for like basically no money, um, but it was a lot of fun and internship, but not very well paid internship. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, not yeah, not at all. But um, you know, again, very competitive. So and I loved it. You know, I got a chance to write stories um, that you know ended up on you know not only the Boston College website but some national websites. You know, because of the affiliation with, with Boston College. You know, I got to sort of rub elbows with a lot of the athletes. Um, some of your listeners, or you might know Matt Ryan, the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, he was okay. the quarterback at Boston College at the time, so I would see see Matt all the time, and a few other players that ended up, um, you know, making it to the NFL. So it was it was neat. Um, and uh, and football wasn't the only. Um, that wasn't even the sport that I covered. Football was sort of everybody, all hands on deck. Um, I covered sports, which were uh, men's and women's tennis, men's baseball, and then women's volleyball. Were, those were my sports. But um, it was fun. And, you know, at the end of my internship, I was fortunate in the sense that I was getting good uh, interviews for, you know, positions at different institutions. Um, and I actually was, I was even offered two positions that I turned down and I never thought at the time, you know, being 26, 27 years old, that I would turn down a full-time job, particularly in college athletics. But I just couldn't, I couldn't justify, <laughs> I couldn't justify either the location or, you know, what it would take in order for me to sort of, you know, live off of what I would have been making um, in those positions. And you can't help fate. Um, and as fate would have it, I had just met my wife, my now wife, um, right before uh, I turned down these positions. And I just didn't want to leave, you know, my soon to be wife, or of course, at the time was my girlfriend. And moved to a part of the country that I had no idea um, anything about. Um, and so I made the decision to pivot, which would be one of many. <laughs> <laughs> so here you're kind of offered maybe dream jobs, but maybe not so much because it sounds like they weren't ideal from a salary or a location perspective, which, you know, do factor in, right? I mean, there's, there's a reason that people, you know, live where they live and so, okay, so now you're meeting your wife and then first pivot. So talk about that pivot. Yeah, so um, so I, you know, the good news is that um, I met my future wife and, um, and knew that I wanted to be, you know, with her. And um, now I needed to pivot and figure out, okay, I don't have a job now. 
and you know where do I go from here and I knew that I loved working in higher education at a college um, or university setting and I felt really passionate about that I felt comfortable knowing like okay that much I know um, you know where you know what part of a university or what you know department or area um, I can figure that part out and so I had some conversations um, with people at Boston College that I had made connections with and ultimately it came down to the fact that I really liked working with students um, and that narrowed my search down to an area called student affairs or, or heard of that term and I was fortunate to get a position um, at a different college um, in Massachusetts um, as working in residential life as a residential hall director. Um, so most of the time um, that includes living in the residence hall um, as part of your job. So you're sort of not a, not a lot of separation between your personal and professional life because you're living right there. Um, but you know, you know that going in and I did that for two years, um, at a university or college called Holy Cross in, in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, and then from there, um, I pause there, <laughs> I guess this is the next pivot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's the next pivot then? <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, living on the dorm or on the housing isn't going to work for the new wife. <laughs> well, it's a good, good point because, um, you know, during that two years, my wife and I got engaged um, in that first year and then married in the second year. So oh. she was living, she was living in the dorms, uh, you know, with me. And, you know, after that second year, um, I, I knew that I, I liked doing what I was doing, but I wanted to sort of take the next step in that field. And so I got an opportunity to uh, go to Dartmouth College um, in New Hampshire. Um, so, you know, an Ivy League school, a lot of prestige, um, sort of like that next step up in, in that area um, of student affairs. And so, you know, my wife, myself, and then we had just had our, our first baby um, right before moving up there. So not like having all these major transitions in yeah. one time. Um, but we moved up there and um, we just loved it. Um, so I, I got a position, you know, again, in residence, residential life at Dartmouth College. Um, and we moved to Hanover, New Hampshire, which beautiful. And, you know, we felt even though it was only about, you know, three hours from Boston for New Englanders, that feels like it's across the country. Um, and, but we loved it and really started our, you know, family up there. Um, we had our second and third babies while we were up there. Um, but without jumping ahead too far, after three years working in that position at Dartmouth, um, I was ready to sort of move on from living in the dorms. Um, yeah, I would guess. We had, had, <laughs> we had had our second baby and things were getting a little tight. So here comes the next pivot. So we had decided actually um, that I was going to do a national search um, for jobs in, in this field of residential life and actually had interviews in different parts of the country, including Denver. Oh, um, cool. I interviewed at Regis University in Denver mm -hmm. um, and a few other places in the Midwest. Um, but 
realized that we wanted to stay, our pull to stay in New England was stronger than we thought. Um, wow. And so I stayed um, for a third year in that position. So this was after year two in that residential life. Job. Um, and then we decided, okay, um, in order for us to stay in this area um, uh, and to stay at Dartmouth College, which we we really loved, that I was going to have to look into a different part of university life again. Um, and so that's what brought me into fundraising. Um, so I got a position working at one of Dartmouth's graduate schools for health science. And it, it was a very good first introduction to fundraising for me because it was a very niche graduate school. Um, they had just started. Um, my position was brand new and the person that I reported to was brand new. Um, and so, but he was very new to the job, not brand new to fundraising. So I had um, a ton of things to learn and I was able to learn it from someone who was a seasoned veteran. Um, and so that's how I pivoted from, from residential life to, to this new position um, as an annual fund and alumni uh, manager um, for Dartmouth's uh, professional school of clinical and health science. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a, a kind of a, a natural transition or pivot because you're still working with students, but it's alumni, right, for the fundraising. And right. Right. Yeah, that's, you know, kind of where, where you're comfortable. Yeah, it, it was. I think it was a natural transition and it allowed us to stay at, at Dartmouth and um, we were certainly grateful for that. Um, and again, it was a great first introduction to fundraising. Um, but the tricky part came with this particular position. I actually, um, it reported to two different people um, and it got a little wacky um, for me and for... <laughs> How I now know my brain works, um, and that I had a really hard time with that, um, and I, I felt pulled to this one particular supervisor who I felt was giving me very clear direction, and the other one not so much. Um, it goes to again this, you know, being able to come up with a plan and follow it through to the end, which you know I know these things you know, as well as I do now, um, which seems probably very basic to, to many people. But, um, you know, I was just trying to, to learn a new field and um, a lot of things, a lot of details that were important, I wasn't, you know, paying enough attention to. Ah, so with one supervisor, were you kind of, you know, exceeding expectations or meeting expectations, but then with the other, it sounds like not so much. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that sort of led to that, again, maybe it's part of that middle child sort of uh, angst that you feel, but, you know, want, not wanting conflict or always wanting sort of harmony, um, but also that lack of self-confidence in myself, um, you know, having that fear like that the other shoe was going to drop. Yeah. Um, and that's what ultimately led to another pivot is oh okay this is not going to work out the way that i want it to or, or i'm fearful of the way that i work out 
so I need to I need to look at for another job in another in another setting. Ah, okay. So where how where did you go next? Are you still at university or? I am. Yeah. So I, it's kind of ironic because the next pivot was a very fortuitous one. Um, I just happened to be doing a project for um, this previous role um, among the other graduate schools and undergraduate school at Dartmouth College. And I was trying to benchmark school was doing in terms of their fundraising. And my now former colleague, we kind of hit it off on the phone and he told me about an open opportunity at the Dartmouth College undergraduate annual fund. And, and that's the job I ended up getting from from the health sciences position was it was you know working as a frontline fundraising officer for Dartmouth's undergraduate, you know, the main sort of mothership. <laughs> um, and it was the best job I've ever had um, in terms of working at, you know, in the university setting. Um, and I just wonder like, what if, what if we stay, you know, where would I, where would I be or where would we be? And um, you do that. <laughs> you got to move forward um but yeah so that um it brought we stayed at dartmouth and i was in that position for you know just under two years um and now you know we've been up there for about six years um we initially went up there thinking oh we'll be up there maybe for two or three years and you know we were up there six years and really had grown to love the area and had a community of friends that we that we loved but the the thought of you know do we stay up there for the next 18 to 20 years to see our kids you know go through school there we just weren't sure that we wanted to stay there um you know not having been from that area um and so ultimately you know we made that decision that we wanted to be closer to you know the metro boston area where where my wife's from and, and me not being far from from there as well and so but that was it was a joint decision um but again another pivot <laughs> that's a theme i'm seeing a theme here <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but, you, know, the, you know a lot of stories involve you know several changes whether it's within the same organization you know or a different organization. Yours is kind of within the same, but different schools within the same. So maybe it feels like very different pivots, but. Well, we're not done yet. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but you're right. Yeah. Um, so we left Dartmouth and moved back to um, Rhode Island, actually, where I'm from. And I was able to, I was fortunate to get a position at Brown University. So I went from one Ivy League school to another. So again, very fortunate to, to get these positions. Um, and it was a very similar role to the one I had just left. Um, it was working in Brown's, you know, main undergraduate annual fund as a, you know, frontline fundraiser. Um, just again the the transition from moving from Dartmouth to Rhode Island um, having now four very small children um, you know being having to sell our house to move into a rental everything was just catching up to us. 
And I feel as though a lot of that, you know, goes back to my ADHD, not having like the bigger picture and being strategic and planning things out. And it's not like we didn't ever talk or have any of these things, any of these conversations. That's, that's certainly not true. You know, thinking more strategically. Um, but things were just sort of starting to feel a little bit overwhelming. Um, and again, I got myself into a position where I wasn't advocating for myself. And because I was getting some natural feedback from my supervisor, because things are done differently at every institution, right? Yeah. And you know, the way that I was doing things at Brown was just, was how I had done them at Dartmouth, but that's not how they did them. Um, and instead of just taking that feedback and saying, okay, um, I continued to do it the way that I knew how to do it. Not out of spite, not intentionally, but again, just not thinking more strategically. And so, you know, it led to a poor performance evaluation, um, which led to my anxiety and lack of self-advocacy for myself, which led to, oh, okay, I got to go to the next job now. Ah, okay. So that ended up being, um, I decided to, well, probably because the opportunity was there, not necessarily because I wanted to transition from higher education to secondary education. Um, I got an opportunity to go to a private high school um, as in, in fundraising. Um, and again, good opportunity um, in terms of like the position itself and you know, the pay and, and the school. But we were still living in Rhode Island at the time that I accepted this job. And the job was in, was just outside of Boston. So on a good day with absolutely no traffic, it would take you about an hour. Wow. Um, so maybe a little bit less. On a bad day, which was every day, <laughs> <laughs> it was about an hour and a half to an hour and 40 minutes each way. Wow. Um, and so, you can imagine how that could take its toll. Um, you know, this particular pivot was more the, the personal toll that it was taking on me um, and my wife and the kids, as opposed to the actual job itself um, or any sort of performance issues there. Um, but about six months in, this time without any sort of issues um, other than the toll that this was taking. Um, I was approached by an old colleague who told me about another position where it was a director level position. So it was a chance to run my own shop. I think we talked a little bit about this, Kathy, but chance to run my own shop, you know, not have any supervisor other than the head of school and really sort of you know, implements my vision. Um, and again, I had been in this job for six months 
um, after a number of pivots and was not looking to necessarily go anywhere. But there's that emotional regulation that <laughs> I deeply struggle with, which is like, oh, somebody wants me, somebody wants me. And I, instead of just really looking at the bigger picture, you know, I grabbed that carrot that was dangling and said, okay, you know, of course I had to go through the process of the interview, interview but you know, when I was offered the position, um, I accepted it. And it was here that, you know, my decisions um, caught up with me. So I was in the position for about three and a half months and was unfortunately let go. Um, just based on philosophy and sort of where they were hoping, you know, hoping for me to have moved the needle, um, even in the short amount of time that I was there and, and, and versus, you know, what, what I had done. And I could argue till I'm blue in the face that it wasn't fair, it wasn't enough time, but it was then that. I really felt like I need to figure out what's going on here. Oh, yeah. Because you felt like I, I just keep changing the circumstances around me and ended exactly. up with the same result, right? Which is, this isn't working. This isn't what I want. And I need something else. And so, so you're kind of faced with that reality because you were fired. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, so how did, how did you face it? Or how did you... Uh, so it, it was, it was hard. It was a hard time, um, you know, in our lives. And, you know, I, I actually had decided, you know, while I was at, um, Brown university to get tested because I had been thinking about it. Um, and my wife had been encouraging it. And so it, it was actually during that time that I decided to get tested. Um, so I did get tested when I got the official diagnosis. There definitely wasn't an, an aha moment, um, but I still wasn't accepting the reality of, of trying to manage my diagnosis because that led to, you know, the next two pivots, which happened in a small amount of time. Um, and then, of course, after um, losing my job, you know, that was the punch in the gut that made me realize, okay, like, it needs to change. <laughs> yeah. So you, and, know, you get tested, you get the diagnosis, but what, you know, what did you think would happen? Or I guess, you know, now you have the diagnosis, but was there, um, was there coaching about this is maybe what you could do because now you have this aha that you have this ADHD? I mean, you know, as an adult too, to learn this as an adult, I mean, was that a shock? I, you know, or... Or it, did it probably explain a lot, maybe? It definitely explained a lot. It was sort of, okay, um, this makes sense. And I think reading through the diagnosis and, you know, my areas of weakness um, helped put things into more perspective. And so I just want to be clear, too. I'm, um, I'm not blaming um, things, decisions that I've made and the pivots, you know, as I had the ADHD diagnosis, it just puts things into perspective for me oh, um, okay. and helps, helps me understand why, you know, 
it could have happened because I wasn't, I wasn't managing it, you know, because a big, you know, someone who's diagnosed and, you know, just like with other diagnoses, you can have, you know, mild, moderate, and severe, um, you have to treat it. Right. So, you know, when I, when I got my diagnosis, I think I was sort of still in that, um, denial in, in, in some sense of like, okay, yeah, I have it, but everybody like has it like so many people have it and and now where i am today i mean there's still so far to go but knowing what i know now it's that's a big misnomer a not everybody has it and b um it's a big deal um you know people have been fighting now for a long time to get it approved by the american disability act as a, as a disability um, you know, that's how serious it can be for, for some people. So, um, for people to, whether it's, you know, friends, colleagues, or family to say like, oh, well, everybody has it, or just sort of, you know, really not make that much of it, um, is insulting for people that, that do have it and, and are trying really hard to, to treat it. And, and I was, that's who I was, you know, after I got, I was like, oh, no big deal, or just not managing it. And sadly, it took losing my job um, and what that did to my family and my relationship with my wife and um, really sort of grow up. Um, and again, it's not like as, in a, as a father, as a husband, you know, you're not making other good, positive decisions during the course of this entire time. But it's really sort of looking, taking a hard look and thinking like, okay, what do I need to do to get to the bottom of this? And so that led me finally to uh, start not only managing it, but taking medication. Ah, well, yeah, because it, um, it, it seems like it, it, it could just keep snowballing, right? Or you just keep, it, it, it has more of a control over you than you have over it. Maybe it sounds like if you're not managing it. So therefore the decisions you're making, how you proceed, yeah, could be maybe more sporadic than if you were managing it yourself. So being fired then, and that was such an aha moment, then now you're like, okay, I do need to do something about this. I can't just, because you're probably thinking this is just me, right? This is how I operate. This is how my brain works. And now you're right. going, oh, there's maybe another way that I could operate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and part of it is, you know, on the one hand, it's thinking like, you know, I always felt like I was working as hard as I could, you know, prior to, to treating and, and managing my ADHD. So, but at the other time, on the other hand, excuse me, you're not, I mean, you could be, someone could ask you to do something and you could work really hard on something else <laughs> ah. and you're not doing what that person asked you to do. So if you're feeling, well, I'm re working really hard. It's not because I'm lazy um, or not working hard, but the person says, yeah, but I asked you to do this, actually to do that, not why. Um, and so there's that sort of almost like, you know, this feeling of embarrassment. Um, and, but also frustration because you feel as though you're, you are trying to figure it out and, and put the work in. But really that was the aha moment was figuring out, okay, what's going on and, and really looking at my 
diagnosis and evaluation to see like what are the areas that you know I tested poorly in and and how do I now move forward with improving in them and you know there's a million thoughts that go through your head and you know am I going to get another job again am I you know is this going to affect me um, when I do get another job um, am I always going to be worried that I'm going to be sort of like on the cusp of losing my job because I can't figure out in my head um, what what's being asked of me. Yeah. And so what really um, changed for me was, I mean, medication was a huge aha moment for me. Um, you know, there's a guy by the name of Ned Hallowell, who's an expert um, in ADHD. And, um, you know, he wrote, wrote a book called Driven to Distraction. And he says, you know, one of his things is that, you know, for someone who is diagnosed and once they find a medication that works for them, because part of it is just finding what works. Um, yeah. And you have to kind of go through that process. But once you find a medication that works for you, he equates it to someone who has, you know, is almost blind and then gets glasses and puts them on for the first time and they can see um and i felt like it's that powerful yeah and i mean that might be a little bit hyperbolic in my instance but it was definitely like wow how have i lived this many years of my life not feeling like this before um and so you know from that like since i've been managing and treating myself it's Again, this is never going to go away. It's you know, um, I remember having a conversation with my brother, and and prior to going on um, medication, and and him just encouraging me to try it, and he equated. He's like, Jamie, he's like, you got to look at it like, you know, you like, what if you were a diabetic? You know, would you just not treat yourself like this is something that you're going to have to just manage and treat yourself? And for whatever reason, like that particular analogy really stuck with me. Um, like this is, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just, it's a condition that you're going to have to to manage. And why wouldn't you want to be the best version of yourself? And, and now, you know, being on medication and using other, you know, systems to treat yourself. Because exercise, Kathy, after medication is the, number one suggested and proven treatment for ADHD. Oh. Just like everything else, right? Exercise pretty much helps everything. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so it's, you know, making sure that I'm exercising and eating well and sleeping well, like all these things that you've, we, of course, learn at a young age um, are, are only going to benefit your mental health. So once I started going on medication and, you know, feeling a feeling that I had never felt before, sorry, that's redundant, but uh, I was like, wow, like, again, how could I have not have felt this for this, this long? Yeah. Um, because so often I felt as though, even though I didn't want to feel lazy, I was like, my, my actions were showing. Mm. For the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is 
I want to do this, not, you know, grudging it. Um, and just feeling that my education and experience could now sort of like work in harmony with my work ethic um, and intelligence. I don't feel like they were patico um, and having to work extra hard. And it's not that I don't have to work, still work extra hard. I do because I have, you know, very slow processing. Um, but when you factor low processing in with feeling lazy, it's not a good combination. Yeah. Or, and, and, or not working on the right thing because you didn't understand yes. that was not the right thing. So you're going right when they want you to go left, but you're going right really hard. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I think what's been great is that it's also, it, it also brought back that self-confidence, um, you know, having that desire to feel motivated um, has just been so huge for me. And, and from being on medication and then treating myself, um, and managing my diagnosis with, with things like like eyes and um, groups, and ultimately working with a coach. Um, that's how I sort of got where I am now, and we can we can certainly pivot, make that next pivot into into that. But yeah, <laughs> now now you're the coach, so you. You, you, it sounds like you had a coach, but now you're stepping into the coaching realm and, um, and helping others. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, um, when I started treating myself and, and feeling, you know, really like my old self, but it's a new version of myself, right? You know, just acknowledging the diagnosis, acknowledging that I need to treat it with medication and with exercise and all the other things we talked about. Um, I wanted to, I still wanted to learn more. Um, and so I was introduced to a coach, who was a work group that I was a part of. And, you know, working with this person was just awesome. And I learned pretty quickly that, you know, a role as we talked about at the beginning of a coach is really to empower the client, not do it for them. So I would ask, I'm somebody that asks a lot of questions. Um, and I would ask all these questions, you know, expecting to get a direct answer. And she would always sort of like sidestep it. So <laughs> I got to the point where it's like, oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> you want me to figure it out, um, which, you know, caused a laugh. And, and I just, I, I appreciated that. It was kind of like, again, this aha moment, like, oh. Um, but just the relationship that we established, um, I started just asking more questions about coaching and at the same time about ADHD coaching and really just diving into what it's all about. Um, I, I was like, I would look forward to my conversations with her, not just because it was helping me understand myself, but it was like, it was having like that mentor um, to, to learn like, is this, is this what I'm meant to do? Um, and so I just felt, given my experience working with students, you know, in student affairs, um, it was just a great fit. And, and I liked the idea of having control of my own destiny, so to speak, you know, working for myself. 
Um, and it's a challenge, as I'm sure you know better than I do. I'm still so new at this. Um, but the business side of it, I've never done this before. So it's it has its challenges, but I love troubleshooting things and I love figuring out new things. And I'm probably one of my greatest skills is the ability to ask for help or network. And so that's how we met. <laughs> <laughs> that is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And so, um, yeah, when you, it's funny when you look back now on your, um, your path and all the dots, right. And how do we connect them? You know, you kind of had to, to hit bottom to recognize I got to deal with this. I got to manage this so that I can be successful. And then now that you're being successful, now you can be you again, and now you're mm -hmm. back to, I can really work with students and younger people and help them, and maybe they don't have to go through what I went through. That's uh, exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I never wanted a student or a young adult to, I would never want anyone to feel, you know, the way that I felt um, after getting, you know, my diagnosis. Um, I think I mentioned to, you know, the doctor who, had the conversation was just not very good at delivering um, the results and, and made very off-putting comments um, to both me and my wife, but also never wanted, wanting anyone to have that feeling that I felt, you know, when I lost my job. Um, yeah. And then the aftermath of, you know, I'm not good enough, um, smart enough, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And I knew, I had to sort of like rebuild myself um, because I knew that I was smart enough and I had the education, um, but I just had to work. Again, going back to the, you know, the phrase like brain just worked for me. Um, yeah. So, you know, figuring out how to best utilize it and, and work with, with students and, and knowing that I could um, hopefully make a really positive, you know, impact in, in their life. and. Um, I hope I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, at least the the teaching or working with with young people, um, I really really enjoy. You know, I have four kids of my own, so great um, joy. And that was a part of it too, to be honest with you, Kathy. Is you know when COVID hit and we all sat down and we're home, having to be all of a sudden a new teacher <laughs> for for four <laughs> of my kids. Um, really just reinforced the idea of, of, of teaching and coaching, which is, you know, another form of teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So do you wish you'd have been diagnosed maybe, you know, young, like junior high, high school? What would, would you have been? I mean, are there, is, is it, is this something that kind of escalates over time or? You know, <clears throat> there's no doubt that I've been living with this since I was a kid. Um, I don't know if I if I wish I had been diagnosed when I was younger. On the one hand, yes, because I would like to think that I would have managed the diagnosis and treated it the way that it's supposed to, and and and, and perhaps that would have resulted in different outcomes. But at the same time, I think experience is the best teacher. Yeah. Um, and I think it took me unfortunately going through this really lousy experience or experiences um to really sort of get that punch in the face to be like 
hey, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, you need to figure this out and you will. Um, and now use it for, for good um, to learn about, you know, myself and hopefully others. But that is a, that's a great question um, that I'm going to lean on the side of no. <laughs> yeah, because, you, you know, what could have happened is you get diagnosed at the young age and then there's a stigma that you don't want to believe it or that I don't want to tell anybody <clears throat> or I don't want to manage it and deal with it. Um, you know, so you could have then been very anti, uh, you know, or very close to the medication or anything, you know. But then on the other hand, maybe you could have gotten the medication and that you would have had the blinders maybe removed earlier. Right. And, uh, been super powerful. But, you know, yeah. it, you're, you're, it is what it is, right? You can't change that. So right. you went through it and it was, um, you know, probably right time, right place that you needed to hear hear it and really, really hear it. Exactly. Yeah. Or, um, make changes and, um, you know, maybe, and maybe it's like a lot of people, you know, midlife have some sort of health crisis and like, Oh, I, I do have to exercise. I have to eat better. I have to sleep more. I have to go out work so much. You know what I mean? There's, you know, I gotta tell you, there's a lot of interviews I've done where people have said, yeah, I, you know, I, I figured out this pattern that when I got in jobs, I loved, I worked myself to the brink. Um, mm -hmm. and then I had these health issues and I kept thinking, Oh, I just worked too hard, but then I started looking back at the pattern of these health issues and then finally getting a diagnosis where they were, you know, had to take that three months off kind of thing. Right. I have another friend who's died, you know, she had detached retinas. I mean, there's all kinds of um, medical things that can really play out from a stress situation. So, mm -hmm. well, Jamie, I, I, I feel like there's so much we could cover here. Uh, we probably do need to start wrapping up some. I'm, I'm glad that you're in such a great place. And I can tell now when you talk about your coaching and how you're working with students and young people that uh, you got a different energy about you. And, yes. uh, and even about yourself as you as you told your story. So looking back, um, talk about what you think has served you best. And it could be maybe just in the most recent years, but what maybe serves you best now Um in terms of, is it a personality trait or um, a characteristic or a habit? What, what do you think is helping you be successful? Yeah, um, I think my family, um, you know, my wife um, and I, um, we've been through a lot and she's been through a lot, you know, dealing with this, um, with these pivots and, you know, we've been able to withstand these, these blows, um, so to speak. And, I think, you know, losing my job and then COVID um, in, a, in an ironic way brought us closer together because like everyone, we were all forced at home and mm -hmm. she's actually still working remotely. Um, and so we've been able to spend, you know, more time together. Um, so that's been, that's been great. Um, a huge um, plus. Um, as you might expect in my life. Um, and I would just say my faith, you know, we're, we're both, um, you know, it's a big part of our lives. Um, and I think if we um, didn't have that, if I didn't have that, you know, things would be uh, more difficult um, than they were um, to get through some of the stuff that, that I got through. Um, I hope that's okay to say. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's all about what gets you through. And because um, other people have, you know, different levels of, of faith and, and you know different beliefs etc but there's that kind of that inner knowing and that inner calling 
that, um, you know, yeah. moving forward. And, but it's also when you have a trusting partner and you, and you, and you trust in them because sometimes we can pull away from, you know, family and, and, you know, if right. you're feeling not good about yourself, sometimes it's easy to step away or pull away when really mm-hmm. you need, you know, you needed to talk to your brother. You needed to hear what he yeah. had to say. You needed to hear what your wife was encouraging you to do. So um, you were open and, and you were listening to, to the people that you love. So very cool. Thank you. Well, any, any other words of wisdom? I know, I think when we first met, you mentioned, is October ADHD Awareness Month? Or It is, yeah. So the last day here as we record this, good timing. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> um, yes, October is ADHD Awareness Month. Um, you know, I would just say, particularly to adults um, who, you know, think that they have been living with ADHD, um, but are not sure, and they, you know, their professional life or personal life can being impacted, to to just learn more, um, you know, get tested or read a, you know, read a little bit more about it, because it's definitely nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and I know that not everybody is, but um, it, it is a big factor in a lot of people's brains is having that same factor. Um, and that also, um, as somebody who is very reluctant to go on medication, that, um, you know, talk to your doctor, talk to your spouse or partner or your parent if you're, um, you know, under the age of 18, um, because it does really work. And I think if you can, find a way to um, treat yourself, um, ultimately be the best version of yourself. My wife tells me that all the time, like be the best version of yourself, then it's, it's worth exploring. And, um, you know, don't be afraid of any stigmas that are out there um, about medication. You need to do what's best for your immune health. So, um, yeah, so, so thank you. Um, those four letters have definitely um, changed my life the last couple of years. I never thought I would be saying them so much. Um, but, you know, for any of your listeners that um, do struggle with this or, or are diagnosed, um, you know, thank you so much for sharing my story. Well, thank you for sharing your story and being so vulnerable and, and, and these pieces of it, because you're right there. There's such a mental health there's such a stigma around mental health to begin with, I think, mm. that people don't want to talk about it. And and you got to talk about it. You know, it's funny, we read all these books about your strengths and your personality types. And we're really, what are we trying to figure out? How are we wired? You know, how is our brain yes. wired? Well, yours is wired differently. And you yeah. needed a little help to kind of align things in a way that, you know, makes things clear for you. And yes. so, thank you, Kathy. Wow. You couldn't have said it better. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for sharing. If you would, um, can you send me maybe some articles or books you think people could read? And I'll, I'll post that on my website yes. when I post your interview. Um, Absolutely. If, if someone's kind of listening to this going, oh, maybe I need to check this out, you know, where could they start? And maybe there's, you, you could make some recommendations on some things that would be super helpful. So that would be, that would be uh, wonderful. And I'm, uh, people can also, if you don't mind, I, I'm happy to give my website. Um, well, yeah, uh, which is anchoradhd.com. So a n c h o r a d h d.com, um, and it's got all my contact information on there. And I will um, 
I also add some some resources on there as well, but I will send you um, some great resources for people to check out too. Yeah, yeah, because this is this is a, a very important topic, and we all want to be the best version of ourselves, right? Which is part of why I do this podcast is is once you learn about other people's stories and what they've been through, sometimes you're like, oh, well, that was me too, and I'm normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, 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 you know, no, I'm, I am different in certain ways because maybe that is a strength that I need to pursue, um, you know, that I can, you know, I can benefit in that way. Or maybe I, I was going down a path that I always seem to be going where other people don't, you know, I keep getting corrected. So maybe there's something I need to check out. So, yes. Cool. Well, Jamie, thanks so much. And um, I'm so glad that our friend Marissa introduced us. And that our paths cross, and you don't know where we'll go. But I, I would like to reserve the right to um, come back to you in about a year and yeah. interview you and see where you know where this has taken you now as you're just stepping into your coaching uh, space and uh, to see where that goes because I think you've got a great story and and just how you interact with people. You know, just meeting you for the first time a, a couple of weeks ago, you're just very personable and and can relate to people. So I can see why uh, young people would be you know, trust you and kind of understand where you've been and, and then they can be more successful. So, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I, I would love that. So to be continued. Okay. Well, I will put you on my calendar for one year. You're going to go, Kathy, who? And then be like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's wrap up. Uh, listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below and then you'll be in, uh, alerted of other interviews as I post them, which is weekly on Tuesdays. And then uh, if you have any questions for me or for Jamie, uh, I will have, you can post them on my website, lifestorycurator.com. And uh, I will make sure to post Jamie's information there so you can find him. And uh, again, this is just a, a way to connect uh, different stories, different people, and hopefully we can make a difference in people's lives. And, and we can all be our best version, right? <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, I guess we'll say goodbye. And uh, everybody, please stay safe, uh, stay well in these times, and let's keep the storytelling going. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Kathy.